Welcome back to the Patriot Leadership Podcast. My name is Lonnie Buckner. I'm the host of the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you would take just a moment to click that subscribe button, leave us a review. All those things mean so much to us. Today, I think you're really going to enjoy the show. Our guest is Arvid Bout. Um, His name is spelled A-R-V-I-D-B-U-I-T, and he's from the Netherlands. He has a podcast that's called Leadership Lessons. And he has a, a coaching business over there in Europe that uh, well, he works all around the world, but he's, he's based out of the Netherlands. His, uh, his business is called truleadership.com, and it's true-leadership.com if you want to go to his website. But he shares a lot of uh, interesting insights with us today about kind of the, the uh, psychology of leadership, and um, I think you'll really enjoy his perspective. So uh, again, thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the show. Well, good morning, Arvid. I appreciate you joining us on the Patriot Leadership Podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a great honor. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I've been, I actually found you, uh, you know, I, I look for other leadership, uh, you know, content out there and podcasts, and I found your show on, on Spotify and started listening to it. And it was a little bit different. Um, you know, you're from the Netherlands, so you have a little bit of a, an accent there, but, uh, but it's great. I, the, the angle and the the information that you have is a little bit different than some of the other stuff you you hear out there, and so I was really interested in in the, the opportunity to talk with you. Well, it's it's like I said, it's an honor. So I hope I can clear some uh, some stuff up. Great. Uh, one of the things I was, I was listening to uh, one of your early episodes, and uh, one of the points that you made really hit home with me. And you talked about uh, unpolished leaders with a hunger for recognition. And I, that's one of the, the dynamics that I've seen in private business a lot that didn't exist so much when I was in the military. Um, you know, guys, it was, I don't know if it was more of the um, uh, service above self sort of idea in the military that, that kept people from doing that. Not that it didn't exist at all, but, but, it, did, but it didn't ex- exist to the level that I've seen in private business. And can you talk about that a little bit? Maybe the why that people are that way? Well, first of all, it's very important to define leadership because I'm, I haven't been 20 years in the Marine Corps like you did. I, I've, I have some experience with uh, people in the military, but we call everything leadership. And that's, that's a mistake, I believe, because leadership are the people that are ultimately responsible for the complete collective. And I believe that if we look at the generals in the army, they do exactly the same thing as the, as the CEO in the, in the commercial business. Um, people that grow up, uh, typically from father and mother and primarily their mother receive symbiotic love and symbiosis is unconditional. So it's basically, if you, you want to point it out visually, symbiosis is like two being one. So first of all, you're inside the body of your mother. Yeah. So that's really two being one. And, and this feeling stops as soon as uh, the birth thing is over, the, the messy bloody thing. And then frustration starts. And if all things are right, if the attachment between you and your mother is okay, that you build up, if you feel frustration, she gives trust. Yeah. And the older you get, the longer the time between frustration and trust will be. So 
if you're a baby, you cry. She, she lifts you up within seconds, uh, uh, gives you a clean diaper or some milk or, or a cuddle or whatever, rubs your tummy. Then if you're five years old, you say, mom, can I get some sweets? Or no, you go play outside. And if you come back, you can watch some television and you get some crisps or whatever. Yeah. So the time between you and you already learned that there's trust. But one third of the people in the world don't have a healthy attachment. So they haven't learned to build on this trust. And uh, basically, if you don't understand unconditional recognition, you're going to replace that because you need it. It's, it's a human basic need. And if you don't do that, you re replace it. And it's very simple uh, because you replace it with conditional recognition. And that's um, based on success and uh, power and sex and status. Okay? So... All people that are successful score on this scale. And we typically call this the narcissistic scale. And this is one of the most misunderstood skills in the world because people say narcissists love themselves. Well, that's definitely not true. But it's a way of defending yourself, your soul, your heart, whatever you want to call it, your inner self for the pain of not being symbiotically attached. So if you don't have that feeling, you're going to defend yourself. And that shield that you have is the narcissistic defense. And this narcissistic defense comes with some benefits and it comes with some problems. And if you are able to weigh up the benefits and deal with the problems, I call that a polished leader. And if you can't, you'll probably be very successful and very unhappy the rest of your life. Sure. Well, it's fascinating. And again, why I wanted to talk to you today, because this is an angle that you get a lot when you're talking leadership here. Um, you know, I think you have a much more kind of psychological approach, uh, which is kind of the foundation that drives our behaviors. But we don't always do that. We kind of, it, the way that leadership training is framed a lot of time is sort of, it's the fundamentals, these action steps that you do, but it doesn't really get to the root of the behavior. And the only other time I've, I've, I've read about this is kind of like in Brene's, uh, Brene Brown's book, uh, Dare to Lead. And, and she talks about a lot of this sort, this sort of thing, too. And I was very fascinated when I, read, uh, when I read that book, too. It's just a very different approach. So, so what's the fix with, with things like this, with the individual person that, that's striving to be a leader or maybe has been thrust into a position to be a leader, um, how, I mean, how does one identify even, or I mean, I'm sure that's part of the big, the big problem here, but how do they even identify these, that they have these traits? Well, first of all, let's, let's uh, divide the two questions. First of all, why does everybody want to be a leader? Well, we're in a society where everybody needs to prove himself on social media and wants to be important and needs success and whatever. And, uh, it's, it's a hype. I mean, leadership is something very good. So, so they say it's about self-leadership. Well, I can tell you this, you can't lead one thing. You cannot steer one wheel. So leadership's all, all about a collective. Yeah? And if people tell you that you can learn leadership, that's a trick that every training company will tell you. And why? Because dumb people believe they can get smart. And training companies make money of that. Yeah? But that's not how it works. Leadership is about two things. And you can see, look this up in every form of science, anthropological, psychological, even psych psychiatrical. It's about personality and competence. Yeah? And that's also in the animal kingdom. So with monkeys, that's exactly the same as with humans. Yeah? So we have two things, personality and competence. The competence is linked basically to the 
the the nurture you have you you're growing up you're learning history so you can learn a lot of trades for example you have been a marine for 20 years so you know a lot of stuff you're physically good you have discipline you have uh endurance you have a lot of great things teamwork man wow so you have a lot of competence and then leadership is about the personality have you got the urge and the fire and the pain inside to first of all be sensitive enough to see where the collective should go what it needs to adapt to that and tell people a story that they're going to believe yeah so that's what a leader does and a leader is not always a leader some people say yeah i'm really all, I, i'm i'm a typical leader well no you're not if you're in a room with a bunch of people and the fire alarm rings there's always one in the group that stands up and says we're going that way but that's not always the same and not even if you are the type of guy that does that even i can bring you in a collective that you wouldn't do that because you know somebody else is the alpha we feel this yeah so there's a natural leader that says okay we're going there and that depends on the collective so first of all you're not a leader you can be a leader for a specific collective and you need to have a pain and urgency to want to become a leader because nobody's going to ring at your door and say hey man great to see you yeah microsoft needs a new boss would you be so kind to do that no that's never going to happen the same is with sports the same is with everything with hierarchy you have to fight for it and healthy people don't fight so people that are willing to fight are willing to receive some punches yeah and that's the analogy for receiving pain all growth is going to cost you some pain and if you want to be a ceo you better beware it's going to hurt you a lot because you're going to be rejected you're going to be offended you're going to you have to fight all fucking day and you have no friends and it costs you three marriages and and a lot of more 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 stuff before you you get there no happy sensitive nice mother of three children will ever be ceo that's not going to happen because that's not the typical personality that's being accepted as a leader. So it's same with men and women. If you're at the top, you're probably not a very good parent because you're not able to attach yourself very well. And that's not an, a great thing to hear if you want to become a leader. But that's the truth. I mean, I, I work with, I, I have worked with over 700 CXOs around the world. I think I can say that there's a specific pattern. And that's not like mm, 40, 50%. That's like 99%. So... How do you usually get into these uh, uh, companies or work, working with these people? How do they find you and what and, and why are they reaching out to you? Well, how did you find me? It, it's, it's, it's different every time. But in, in my country specifically, uh, they know me because I do a lot of lectures and I wrote some books about narcissism and leadership brain and the personality of people that are, are leaders. So I'm in these networks that I uh, CEO and CFO networks here. And um, I'm linked to the ICF, which is the International Coach Federation. So I'm on their website. Yeah, some people hear here. Some people Google me. But most of the time they call me if it's too late and five other people tried. So that's the real answer. <laughs> okay. But what are, what are the, uh, the problems they're usually looking to solve? They're successful, but an ass. Uh, they, they're not able to build relationships. Their third wife said, fuck you, I'm leaving. Uh, their children are afraid of them. The board of directors said, we don't want you as a leader anymore. I mean, it's real problems. It's not like, yeah, I really need to find a new balance between work and private life. Yeah, that's not me. <laughs> there are hundred other people. Do some yoga, uh, <laughs> go to the casino, have a good night out. You'll be fine, yeah? Yeah. 
Exactly. You'll be fine. Or go to Tony Robbins, for example. That's great. I mean, he's going to help you all this NLP way. And it's that's an experience. What I do, and I take a year of this minimum, I'm going to change behavior. And that's the hardest thing that people can do. So it's not funny. It's uh, First of all, I'm going to ask all people around you uh, what you're good at, what you're doing bad, and what you uh, really need to stop with. And we're going to do a complete assessment of your personality. And then I'm going to say, okay, this is all the bad shit. Pick two. I'm going to change them in the upcoming year. And we're going to measure that. And if you don't change, you don't have to pay me. So it's very simple. Yeah. But behavioral change is a very hard thing. That's a real hard thing to do. So it's structural. We need to link it to other people. You need to change the way you communicate. So that's it's it's also a learning process. You just mentioned the um, you know the narcissism and the the uh, you know how you have to kind of go in for a year with some of these companies and and uh, to really really focus on getting the behavior to change. And I wanted to tell a quick a quick story of a situation I was in at a company where. The, you know, the owner was, was one of those people. He was great at, um, you know, as a visionary for the company, um, at, uh, he really understood all of the services and things that they did. The part that he was not great at was, you know, sort of setting an example for other people, treating people well, um, you know, the, uh, cheating on his wife, everybody in the company knows all of his bad behaviors. You know, he would, he would lie to employees all the time, just all the stuff that you would, you would normally see. He was aware that he needed help and he would hire people to come in and say, man, I, you know, we're going to get better. So he would say all the, all the right things that you said a moment ago that, Hey, I'm going to surround myself with a good team and all these things, but just could never get out of his own way. Because it, it didn't hurt. All the other people hurt, but he wasn't. Yeah, he had a new girlfriend every week. He had the money, all the money he wanted. He was the CEO. That's great. Why would he? That's the whole yeah. thing, man. Uh, if if you're not hurt, you'll not don't change. So that's why you really have to watch out for the leaders that that the benefits of bad behavior outweigh the benefits of a new adapted self. And in the end, they'll be unhappy because they'll understand that it was never enough. But at the moment, they can be very happy with all the bad behavior. So it's very difficult. And one of the things we need to learn outside the leader as a collective, as, as other human beings, is that we don't need leaders very often. We need leaders in crisis, change, and growth. And in every other phase, you need what I call, and it's difficult to translate, but it's, it's a governor. It's a director. It's a different personality. That's not a leader. That's someone who's very reciprocal in communication, who is not able to lead in times of crisis. Yeah, that, those are the people that if shit hits the fan, they say, yeah, let's have a meeting and, a, and an advisory company and do something with 20 people and, and get the, the, the ridiculous uh, post-its on the wall. And uh, I mean, that's bullshit. But that works if there's nothing happening. I mean, if, sure. if everything's well, people like that. I mean, it's bullshit, but still, they like the bullshit because it makes them feel important. So if you are at a scrum board and, and people listen to your this, listen to you, that that's very nice. So if employees feel um, seen in that way, that will work and that will benefit the collective. But if the boat hits the storm, we need a different personality. And we don't care if that's an ass. And I, I've got a, a great analogy who's, that's uh, really from uh, uh, scientific uh, research. There was a guy in the Nyenrode, that's the, the Harvard of the Netherlands. Uh, Leo Witfleet was his name, is his name. And he did research. And so 
you're going to live in a new town and you need a new dentist. So you're going to check out two of them. Yeah, going to visit them. So first, you come at a great practice and it's very nice. You park your car, you go inside. A very friendly lady says, welcome. Great to see you, man. And um, you sit down. There are some magazines. You get a cup of coffee. And then really on time, a nice lady opens with blue eyes. And she says, wow, so great. So how are the kids doing in the new school? Please sit down. Welcome, welcome. You have a real good feeling. So she puts you in this chair and the chair goes, uh, you're going to lie on your back in the chair, right? As, as dentists do. And then as soon as she's coming really close to your mouth with her hand with the hook and the little mirror, you see that her hand shivers. It, it has a little tremolo in her hand. Okay, so you're going to visit the other dentist. So you're on this industrial territory. You can't park your car. You go inside. It's very cold, very gray. There's no assistant. You sit down and very late, a door opens. An old man with gray owl eyebrows says, and you go in and you, you sit down and you think, wow, he's a bit of a strange guy. And again, the chair goes down and it's just before he enters your mouth with a little mirror, you see behind his back, six framed diplomas. And two of them are from Harvard Medical School. Question to respondent is, who do you want as a dentist? Well, I can tell you that it depends on how much pain you have. If you have no pain, you're just there for a checkup. Do lady one. But if you're really in pain, you want competence. You're going to pick number two. And that's something that every collective should understand. We only need leaders if the pain is high. If there's no pain, don't get a leader. Because he will make sure you receive pain. Because then they can prove themselves. So if you have a leader that will, will will steer the ship out of the storm and you leave him on board, he'll make sure to find another storm because <laughs> that's what makes them happy. But does it have to be that way? <laughs> well, that's a different question, a difficult question as well. Um, uh, it, it's very primarily. You have a little walnut-sized thing in the center of your brain. It's called the nucleus accumbens. And that's the part of the brain that makes sure uh, that you're going to uh, look for satisfaction. yeah. And it's basically driven by dopamine. That's the happiness hormone. So healthy attached people will have a basic level of dopamine. It's very good. Badly attached people have a very low dopamine. So they're unhappy always. So they have to feed themselves with little stuff like ordering online uh, with Amazon uh, to uh, going to a hooker or buying a new car or a Rolex or whatever they like, yeah? So every little step makes a little dose of dopamine. And if that's not enough, you can do that with substance abuse. So you can use drugs and alcohol. That will definitely make you some dopamine. And the other one is um, uh, called endorphin. And endorphin is endo means from within, and you know morphine as a sedative. From the, in a hospital, you get morphine. So endomorphine is morphine made from within. Yeah, so that's literally a, 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 something your body makes when you go extreme sporting or taking extreme risks, like skydiving or whatever crap people do that are never happy. <laughs> so they go fly in a delta wing and hope to see that life change forever. Well, it's not. So this nucleus accumbens very stupid. It's just this walnut that depends on dopamine primarily. So. Will it ever change? Well, I don't think so. I don't believe in the altruistic, uh, socialistic point of view that one day we'll all be in heaven and life will be good. I think it's more of a, a lead, follow, or get out of the way situation. And uh, I think that within that system, you can take care of the collective. So I do believe that you have to take care of each other. But that's not going to change the system because if everybody is very nice, then as soon as a little thing happens, we don't have any leader to solve it.
Right. Yeah. And that's, I've, I've worked in a, another place that that was sort of the theme where it's kind of like, we just all get along and everybody's, you'll hear them say it's kind of big boy rules. Everybody just kind of does the right thing. Well, that sounds great, but it's not, it never works no. because at the end, somebody's going to screw it up. And when somebody screws it up, who's going to be the person that, that leverages the accountability or, or whatever, or, or just lets it go, which usually is what you see. And then the culture and the morale start to uh, take a hit and people are unhappy because you know, you have the one guy that's going, yeah, I'm the one doing the right thing here and doing a good job and playing by these big boy rules that we're supposed to go by. And that guy over there, he's not, and he's allowed to, you know, sort of do the bad behavior and nobody does anything about it. So exactly. Yeah, now, now everybody hates working here. And that's exactly the same balance. Like I said before, you know, the personality and competences, if somebody's very competent, they'll take a lot of more of his bad behavior and otherwise also. So very nice people can get away with bad competences as well. But in the end of the day, for a leader, you don't care about his personality. You need competence, but you also need a crisis because otherwise he's just a pain in the ass or she is because women at the top are exactly the same as men. Let me point that out for sure. So uh, there are less women getting there and that's mainly a neurological thing and a cultural thing but if they're there they're exactly the the same worst people as the men so there's no difference between that. It's some people saying that like yeah we need more female leaders because that will change the atmosphere in the company no it won't it's the same narcissistic behavior because otherwise they wouldn't become ceo sure yeah if you yeah. want that strong leader <laughs> yeah. then, then that's what you're going to get yeah and and the and because i always believe that every mental has two sides so Yes, they're as terrible as men, but they're also as competent as men. So it's not true that men are better leaders. That's not true. The, the people with the bad attachments are better leaders because they know where they're fighting for and they're prepared to take risks. Yeah. So, you, you know, with police, for example, a policeman is someone who has to know a lot of things and has to adapt to a lot of situations. These are special people that work very hard and they, they have to, to help little children from a fire that are just saved and rescued and they have to shoot a, a, a very dangerous uh, a, a thief, you know? But if the shit really hits the fan, who do we call? Instead of Ghostbusters, we call the SWAT team. And they did research in America with these kind of people. And almost all of them, all the commando type people, are people with bad attachment and uh, tough childhood. And because they learned in stressful situations, you're taking your hand up, yeah, with stressful situations to be rational. And we need to be rational. So so if, if you're there as a sniper from the SWAT team and you need to decide if you're going to shoot and you're thinking about the family of the guy you're going to shoot, that's not, not going to help you in any way. So you need to kill all the emotional stuff. So the rationality, and that's a different part of the brain, right? So you have the, the, the reptilian brain, that's the real primal stuff, and that's triggered by your cortisol. And cortisol is a stress hormone. So if it's very high and you're sensitive to that, you will always shoot in fight, flight, or freeze. But it's very primary. But if you had a lot of pain in your life, you're not even sensitive to that anymore. So your cortisol won't adapt that much, and you'll be easily uh, shoot into the other parts of your brain, which is the limbic system, which is emotional, and the neocortex, which is the rational part. So you can overthink things. And people that had a lot of bad shit in their childhood are better in being rational and use the neocortex in stress. But right now, a lot of people in the world think, ooh, COVID, and they're completely panicked out and start to be uh, uh, in, in fear mode and listen to anyone that says this is the solution, even if the solution doesn't work. And leaders will definitely abuse that around the world 
<laughs> not only Trump. I mean, it's universal. Yeah, yeah, not yeah it's, Trump, it's, it's, it's. I mean, the, the ones with us as well. And and, and um, yeah, that's that's something you can see. So it's important to understand the things that are just human. Yeah, and and I think that if you had a lot of bad shit in your life, that's tough, but it can make you stronger. So every side of the medal has two sides. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, sometimes uh, you're bad at some stuff be, because of that main re relationships and being reciprocal. But if we need you to fight, you're better at it. Sure. No, I, I, I certainly understand. I think that's fascinating too. The, so going back to uh, earlier on, you were talking about just a generic example. You know, you go into a company, the CEO or CXO, or he is um, a jerk, you know, divorced multiple times, kids don't like him, wife's, wives don't like him or whatever the case is. <laughs> Um, and now the company's in that crisis where the board doesn't want them or, or whatever. So you you get there. They've, they've already done multiple types of trainings and other things to try to right the ship. And then you get there and you're there for a year trying to uh, help change the behavior. So then what? So does the behavior, and I'm sure this is all over the map, but so if the behavior does change and after a year or, or however much time it takes, this person changes some of those behaviors, then what? Like then, then how does that affect the team and the person and oh, does it good. stick? Yeah. Well, does it stick is, is the last question. And that's depending on if, if he or she does it for 12 months. After 12 months, people believe you changed. Then to make your question clear, I, I don't know if you ever heard of the pyramid of psychological levels. It's made by Bateson and Diltz. Those are two men that initiated NLP, which is not a perfect solution, by the way. And the pyramid is not true, but it's it's an example. You can Google it. So the, the psychological levels, it's a pyramid of, uh, on top of it is like self and identity. And, 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 and then you have competences. And then, so all these things end on the bottom level with behavior and the other world. So the, the outside world. Yeah. So if you work on being on who you are and your identity and talk about it, your behavior will never change. But if you change your behavior, your interaction with others will change. You'll be more vulnerable. So that will even exponentially change the way people respond and interact with you. You're going to build relationships and that in the end will definitely change who you are and your identity. And why? Because you have a reciprocal relationship with people. And successful people don't go into relationships, not real ones. They're always conditional. So you have a wife and children and a great family. So that's the closest you're going to get to symbiosis. And that's what we're all craving for, every human being, as, as, unless they're really fucked up like the psychopaths. Yeah. So don't help them, avoid them. <laughs> but that's a different kind because they think it's funny to step over your boundaries and and use you but that's not what narcissism is that's one of the main confusing things that people in media say without any knowledge in their head um like the narcissist like to to uh, use others miss abuse others that's not true it's only a defense so if you don't attack them they will never be unkind to it if you say i always give a little example if you say to a narcissist a narcissistic scale someone high score you say oh, what you just did really hurt me. And then he or she will say, oh, sorry, that's not what I, I intended to do. I, I, I apologize. If you say this to a psychopath, they will steal your wallet because they know you're vulnerable. Yeah, And that's a very simplified example, but that's a, a, an important difference. So, yeah. So 
with that, uh, using the same example with that leader, they go through this process. They they do change some of these behaviors we were talking about. How does that then impact their leadership and the position they have going forward? Are they less effective now because maybe, uh, or are they more effective? Or what's what's sort of your uh, what you've seen? Depends on what they choose, but to in order for them to change that behavior, I'm going to learn them the process on how to change behavior. And that's a really simple step program that I can learn you as well. You can try it with your wife tonight. So first of all, don't ask for feedback. Kill feedback everywhere you are because feedback sucks. Feedback, also on psychological level, only says anything about the one giving it. So if you say, do you have some feedback about my podcast? Whatever I will say will be uh, colored by how I feel about podcasts, how I feel about you, about how I feel threatened by you because you're a co-podcast maker, right? So if I say things, then, then that must make me look good. That's bullshit. So first of all, you have to decide how good you want this podcast to be. And uh, where are you striving for? So if you say, I'm gonna, I'm striving for 50,000 listeners every month and I want to be on national television because my podcast is a big success. Okay, so that's your goal. Then you say, okay, Arvid, this is my goal. Do you have one or two suggestions for me? So that's step one. Don't ask for feedback. Ask for suggestions after you've stated where you're heading for. So it's your goal. Because if it's not your goal, anything I will say will be in your system in defense mode. So the only thing you're going, your system going to do is say, I'm wrong, basically. Or you're going to say socially, yeah, thank you so much for giving that back, blah, blah, blah. And you're going to drink wine and forget everything. Yeah. <laughs> so step one is ask for suggestions after you stated your goal. Then say thank you and shut up. Because one of the most common mistakes is that people are going to respond, yeah, I already tried that. Or yeah, that might be a good idea. It's not for you to judge. Shut up. He's just giving you a great suggestions or two. So write them down, say thank you and shut up. And then the third step is think about it. Think it over. And then fourth step is respond. So thank you so much for your suggestion last week. This is what I'm going to do with it. And next week, I would like to ask you again if you've seen that I changed. And then the last step could be to do this regularly. And that's what I teach a CEO. We're going to do this every month with 10 stakeholders for five minutes. This is my goal for this month. Please tell me your suggestions. Thank you so much. Then they call me and I say, okay, what were the suggestions? We have 10 suggestions. We send an email to all the stakeholders saying, thank you so much. This is what I'm going to do this month. And the next time we sit down, I want to ask you if you've seen any change. And then I've got a new goal for this month. What we basically do there, and it seems like a very simple thing, but I, I challenge anyone listening to your great podcast to change the, to, to do the first three steps with your spouse tonight. I want to be a better dad or a better husband or a better partner. Have you got one or two suggestions and say thank you and shut up. Try tonight. You'll see how hard it is. So what happens here is that we build a reciprocal relationship because the one being asked is honored because you are successful and you're asking them for their opinion and suggestions. So that's that's making them feel good. You're going to thank them and listen to them. So that's respectful. You're going to think about it. So that's giving value to what they're saying. And then you're actually going to use it. They'll feel great and they'll be part of you and your life and your success. They're invested in your success. And it's the most simple way of communicating. But people with bad attachments are good in a lot of stuff, but not at this. So we teach them this. So answer to your question is, they're going to change these two things that they choose, but they're also going to change the interaction with all the stakeholders. And then we say to every stakeholder, now you do this with 10 people. 
And that's what cultural change is. So after two, three years, the whole company can work in this way. And that's cultural change because culture is the behavior we have with each other. That's fascinating. And again, you don't uh, you don't hear that that method a whole lot uh, because there are a lot of bad coaches and a, a bullshit trainers that talk about leadership. But if you don't understand leadership, then get out of the way. Sure. No, I I, I think this is great. And I uh, one one thing uh, I wanted to ask about when you do this and and you get to this point. Um, in an organization where where they're in the they're in a oh shit situation they're and they're saying they need this help the the people that you're really talking to and dealing with how do, what's the the typical response do they usually really try and, and get through and, and make these changes ninety nine percent gets through and the one that doesn't is my mistake because first of all the first thing I do is is measure if you're ready to change so. Uh, and that's uh, how do you uh, uh, say this in English? Um, uh, courage, humility, and discipline. This is the best way to say that. Those are three pillars that you really need to change. And and that's something that Marshall Goldsmith has uh, written down, and he's an American. But in the Netherlands, I did some uh, scientific research with a great psychologist, and we made a, a bit more of a formula of behavioral change to understand people have to. Uh, understand that the problem is their problem and not the others yeah they had and then there's something something we call the benefits of sickness yeah so imagine this you have a hernia in your back you have a backache whatever you call it and your best friend calls and say hey man do you want to help me move because i'm going I'm, i bought a new house wow and you're not really looking forward to empty his cellar and basement with all the old crap and dusty shit. So you say, no, nah, I can't, man. I've got this hernia thing going on. So you have a benefit of this hernia, right? So you have pain, but you also have a benefit. That's also with people with panic attacks. You say, no, I can't go to this birthday. I'm really not ready for it, blah, blah, blah. So there's, there's this sickness benefits. And if those are too high, don't help these people because they're going to tell you anyway. They're not able to change. And don't mistake how big these benefits can be um so the, the, there are several points and uh if you measure this and that's what i do in the first conversation because i only get paid if they change so there's really a, a good incentive for me to check if they're able to change but if you have the right people with the right motivation 99 percent works because it's a very simple psychological thing yeah that that's very interesting i I have a friend of mine that, that that does this sort of training here in America also, and I asked him the same question. So when you go into these companies, what's sort of the overwhelming thing that's usually the problem? And he, he said convincing the person or people at the top that they're the problem. Um, because most times, you know, it's always come in and fix my people. And uh, they, they, they think that their staff is the problem and typically they're the problem. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, it's, you know, he'll come in and, and speak with the owner, CEO or whoever, and and then it's trying to get them to to understand that they're they're the biggest part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And and I said, Well, okay, so through that discovery and and uh and that and then going past that, do they accept that responsibility? Do they take that well? And in his situation, um, and he's more of a um I, I don't know if traditional is the right word, but uh, kind of the fundamentals of leadership, those tenets of leadership uh, instructor. But he, you know, he would say that um, 
you know, typically they don't accept that. And it's kind of just projected onto the rest of the team. And so you, then you find yourself training the staff, going through the, the stuff that you talked about earlier. But that, that's a problem with a lot of leadership experts or trainers or whatever you call them. They're not working with leaders. So first of all, if HR calls me, I'm not coming. Tell the CEO to call me. If he doesn't call me himself, there's no pain. So I'm not coming. Yeah. So let him call me or her. Then they're going to explain. I ask, I'll ask you to tell me in two lines what's happening. Well, the rest of the company thinks I'm an ass. Okay. I can't help you because you think it's about the rest of the company. If you call me and say, okay, I have a problem. I'm the leader here. I have a lot of pain. I know that I can make this company successful, but all people are leaving. It's my problem. I need my help. I'll help you. So make that shift on the phone because what a lot of people do is accept the bad clients. Don't. Only work with people willing to change. And that starts with them calling you. You're not, I'm never going to explain who's the problem and what's happening there. That's not my job. Please don't. It's a waste of energy. And if you train the people around the leader, that's not going to help because the leader won't change. So the people won't change uh, uh, sustainable. And so they will leave the company and that's not going to help. Well, that's a, that's a great point. I, I appreciate that because that's something that I've been um, thinking about too. And in looking at some of the situations that I've been in, and if I, if I thought, okay, if I went to work to help an organization like that, um, that had some of these issues or a person that was like the, you know, one of the owners I worked for, and I, I knew that I could help the organization, but at the end of the day, the nothing would really get much better because that person is still the the way that they've always been. Um, you know, what would I do? Would I would I want to do that? And the no, I don't. I, I because it's just like you're saying now, like it's a waste of my time. Yeah, well, and, it's, it's it's one of the the things that people don't understand a lot about coaching is that you really need to understand your own personality. Why do you want to help others? Why do you want to change the company? Don't please don't have that energy. I mean, if you're a soldier, you can say, "I want to fight. I want to fight." Don't. If there's a war. They'll ask you. Yeah. <laughs> so don't fight, pick fights if you really need a war. I need a war to work. I need that kind of energy to change a leader because leaders are difficult and brilliant people. And if there's not enough energy, I'm not going to change them. I definitely don't change them. They change themselves. And I only can, can, can point out the way, right? And I can say, like we're doing right now, I'm, I'm telling you what I think. And that's the only thing I have. If I'm right or not, you decide. But I'm always very clear and I call it radical honesty. And I'll tell you what I see and I tell you what, what I think you can do. And if you don't want that, then call someone else. But it's, it's, it's really about self-search on why do you want to help leaders? First of all, a lot of people that call themselves executive coach don't know what executive means, don't know what leadership is, and never been leader themselves and never worked about their own personality. So if you, you can't bring people to a place you've never visited. So you have to understand that. If I'm going to train people on discipline, I've, I have never been a Marine. So the, the, the chance that you could, you're a better discipline trainer than I am is 100%. I fuck all of discipline. I, I'm too lazy to, to, to do any sports if I'm not up to it. And I love to drink a glass of wine and make myself a, a, a steak. So that's not going to work, right? And if you say, and, and they're not going to ask me because I have no profile that's believable in any way. So as a coach, you need to understand that you have a profile in life. You did something before and that profile will decide if uh, uh, people are going to call you. So if you don't have the profile of an executive coach, they won't call you and you can make the best website and you can sell some trainings and some marginal stuff, but you're never going to be an executive coach 
don't pe- they don't believe you. Yeah? So the storyline needs to be in line with with their search. So if you ever searched for something and you found it, you can help others find it, but you can't help them find something other something else. I, I think that's great. I, I the the brutal honesty piece I think is what's really important. I, I've worked with consultants for in different companies. They didn't necessarily focus around leadership. Sometimes it was just sort of uh, you know organiza- organizational development or, or that's whatever. okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and but even in those times, uh, sometimes I felt like. Um, you know, we're kind of dancing around the real problems in the organization. Like, yeah, some of these things may streamline the process and make things a little smoother internally if we make some of these changes that they have up on their on their board. But everyone in the room is thinking the same thing. If you just look down at the end of the table, we all know where the problem really lies and what's the roadblock or whatever. And but nobody wants to say that um, for for all sorts of reasons. So I think. Uh, your your perspective on this is 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 incredible, and I you don't hear it a lot. Which again, when I when I've listened to your show and I've read through uh, some of the information on your website and stuff, I uh, I I knew it was going to go this way because I've heard you speak. <laughs> uh, um, but I, it's fascinating again because you just don't you don't get this. And when I I told you earlier, I read um, um, that book Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, and it's. Uh, it's a lot of the same sort of thing. That was the first time in my life at 40, whatever years old, whenever I read it, like I'd never really looked at leadership that way because it's never been taught to me that way. Or, uh, and certainly in the military, it's not that way. It's, it's more of, you know, pound your fist and whoever's toughest, uh, yep. sort of a thing wins. And, uh, um, and that's not leadership. No. Now, one of the funniest things, I, I I started to do some research. I'm definitely not a scientist. I work with a lot of scientists and great people, and I do some research, but I'm really bad at it because my patience level is about 30 seconds, and you need about five years to do a valid checklist. So it's it's, it's terrible for me, but I anyway, I try to keep up. And what, one of the reasons I do this is that if you have research on leadership, leaders don't recognize the outcomes. And why is that? Because seldomly a researcher is able to find a group of real CEOs to do research on. It's always some management level bullshit. So I I, I got one of the, the the articles of one of the top researchers in the Netherlands here, and and she did research on leadership within an insurance company with thirty two management teams. That's not the leadership. What we do right now on the universities, we have 600 CXOs that are willing to participate. 120 of them are willing to undergo MRI scans while answering questions. So this is one of the first times in the world that we're able to research leaders within leaders. And I have only one sole goal, that the outcome of that will be recognized by leaders. Because that's what we're not doing right now. If I sit down with the CEO, this is all piece of cake. They understand it. They're willing to do it. They understand, okay, I need pain. I don't have pain. I don't work with you. That's all very easy. But for HR, it's like this miracle because they're focused on developing healthy people. But healthy people don't become leaders. Happy people don't become leaders. Why on earth would you do that? Why on earth would you want to be the the boss of Amazon? Without the money, but I mean, on top of 10 million, Money is not interesting at all. So the people I know and work with are not interested in money in any way, but they like the number and they want the next number to be higher. But it's not about money. It's about more <laughs> success. Absolutely. I, I was having a conversation about about this with a friend of mine the other day, and she um, 
is helping to develop this this program in Ohio called the Employee Resource Network, where it basically they um, would go to these companies and pitch them on this idea that you know we can help be a, an external resource for your employees that are um, in some of these towns. You have you know um, people that have uh, that are struggling to get out of poverty and other things, and they they lack some of the skills um that that you need and they and it's sort of like a coaching thing where we'll help these people kind of navigate through some of the things in their personal life that will hopefully translate into them being a better employee for your company and they sell the the company on the benefits of being part of this network and i think that's great my my concern with this was was back to what we're talking about where you can help these people but then inside that company if if it's not a well-run organization with compassionate people that care. And, and that has to kind of be pushed from the top and led from the top. Um, I don't, I don't see how that's going to work much. And so the good news is I'm, I'm hopefully talking with her about maybe I could, I could help with the other P the other end of that. Mm -hmm. um, and in organizations where maybe the leadership is willing to um, you know, the, the CEO or the owner or whomever is willing to, or needs um, that, that I can maybe help on the other end, but it's just, it's interesting that there's, there's a lot of programs I think that are doing things to try to help. Um, but there's a lot of symptoms that. But, but if, if you look at your, your history, you, you know, you grew up, you say, I, I had some difficult stuff in my, in my, uh, uh, history. So if you look back, what's the best lesson you've learned? What's the thing that you changed most in your own personality? The thing that I've changed most in my personality, I think, is uh, trying to be more compassionate and caring. Okay. Uh, so that's great, right? You, so you were all, already a fighter, you were successful, but you had to learn to be more compassionate to other people. So that's where you can help leaders with, because a lot of leaders are struggling with that. But that should be the sole story. And that's the part you can help them with. And you only need to know how, and then you can do it. But then you, if they ask you, right, we need a Marine because we need discipline, no, I wouldn't do that because that's not the path you've taken. Yeah, you have other people for that. Uh, you need a fat guy that uh, lost 200 pounds that really need to struggle with the discipline uh, uh, to to do that part. And that's more of a personal trainer thing. But what you can do, the compassionate part, and then and, and if you can really soul search how you did that and, and what happened and what pain it took you to understand what compassionate interrelationships are and how you do that with your own family and how you know that it's succeeding, if you can believably tell them that, they'll call you because that's something they don't understand. And it's that simple, I think. Yeah, and I, I, I like that too. And I... I I talk about that. I might even been the, the the first podcast that I recorded. Uh, I was just trying to give kind of the backstory of how I got to to even doing this uh, this podcast and 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 get into the consulting business. Where you know, partway through my my Marine Corps career, I I was I'd been successful, but but I looked around and I realized that most of the Marines I was working with hated me. <laughs> um, my supervisors liked me, hmm. um, but. Uh, most of the people I worked with didn't and because I didn't, I didn't treat them well. And, but <clears throat> that was sort of the model that was pushed to you and that they wanted, but it was, it really wasn't me. I, I didn't feel like at the time it was, you're almost acting, you're kind of putting on a show and, and I just never felt comfortable with that, but I did it because it, it got the results that I wanted. You know what I mean? Uh, but, so, but if, if you go back to that time and how you interacted with those teammates and now how you interact with your 14 year old daughter, What's the difference? 
uh, I would say the the listening and actually caring what people have to say. <laughs> and how do you train caring if you don't give a fuck? That's a good question. Why do you care about your daughter? Because she's my daughter. I'm supposed to. I love her. I don't know. It's, it's a you love her, you, you, right? You love her. She's depending on you. Yeah. So yeah. the soon as you hold her for the first time, you knew. Okay, I'm going to make you big, and I'm going to make you successful. I'm, I'm going to be there for you. Yeah. And you never had this feeling with your teammates because you didn't need to be there for them. So one of the things I always say, the most important thing for me with a client, and that's it sounds very simple, is that I accept them unconditionally. And that's what you do with your daughter. You accept her, whatever she does, you'll help her. Even if she's on drugs and with three boyfriends in a, in a police cell, you'll eventually get her out of there. Yeah, Because you love her and it's unconditional. And unconditional love and respect needs to be there. So a lot of coaches say, yeah, I'm going to help these narcissistic leaders because they're asses and it's bad for the world and it's not sustainable and we need a better world with people loving each other. Okay, if you judge these people in this way, you'll never be able to help them. If you judge a leader, don't help them because you're just telling others how your real reality is the best. And that means you're struggling with narcissistic problems. So unconditional love and recognition is something you have to honestly feel in helping others. So if I sit with somebody and sometimes I always tell them, I'm not acknowledging your behavior. I don't accept all your behavior, but I unconditionally, unconditionally accept you. And that's what you do with your daughter. And that's why you want to listen to her because you, you, you need to adapt. And the problem in the military, it's hierarchical, how do you call it? Hierarchical? Uh, I don't right. know how to pronounce it. Yeah. yeah. So that's not a real relationship. The, the relationship with your teammates will arise if you're in battle, if the things get real, and if you depend on them. And unconditionally, they'll save your life and you'll save theirs. Then we have a real relationship. And that's the moment you'll interact differently with your teammates than in Marine school. Because then you'll probably be an ass because everybody's there for his ego and trying to be the strongest and the fastest. And that's that's the system they put you in. But after the first battle, you probably built relationships for life. Absolutely. And that's because you have to depend on each other unconditionally. And you feel that because you're, you have a benefit of this collective because otherwise you wouldn't be safe. In a war zone, if you're on your own, you're fucked. Let's be honest. That's, that's not very interesting statistics. You're going to die if you're on your own. So then the benefits of the collective are bigger. But in training, if you have to in, have individual scores, there's no benefit of the collective because they're all competitors. So, and in your family, hopefully the strength of the collective will benefit you because if you come home after a busy working day, you'll feel unconditionally accepted and 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 you'll color them and, and life is good. So that's, yeah. that's why you do it. It benefits you. Yeah, no doubt. And the, um, yeah, it's funny the, the way you kind of laid that out is, you know, so the early part of my career in the Marine Corps was from the uh, early nineties and, but it was, it was right after the, the Gulf war. And then it was, there wasn't a whole lot happening necessarily up until like September 11th. So it, it's interesting that after September 11th, you, now you have all these Marines that have done multiple combat deployments, uh, you know, where at that point now I'm in the, you know, midway through my career, but it, the Marine Corps became a completely different place than what it looked like before that, because now you've got all these people that I think are going through what you just mentioned, where um, instead of just this environment where it's who can shoot the best and run the fastest and and get promoted the, the, the fastest, it's you have to have real competency 
and you have to really rely on the people that you're working with. And so it's, it really changed the dynamic quite a bit from what mm. it was like before that. Luckily, I think for the better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, but for the older guys at the time, it was a shift they didn't like. Obviously, because they couldn't benefit from their status. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, but that's the game. I mean, that's why life is brilliant because it will always balance out the wrong things. And if you're not willing to adapt as a CEO, eventually they'll kick you out and it might take some time and you might feel very good. But one day the collective will win. So if you have these monkeys, right, and there's this alpha monkey, uh, uh, Bonobo, whatever, and he's on the top of the rock and uh, and he's very strong and dangerous, one day he'll grow older and then three or four younger monkeys that are not as strong but together they are will literally bite his balls off that's what they do so and that's what happens in leaders over the last 18 centuries if a bad leader is there one day they'll be killed and right now we're not doing that physically but i mean emotionally they'll they'll be killed and like I cannot imagine how Trump feels right now. And he's a he's a great example of a bad leader. But he has the personality, but he has no competencies. But this man must feel terrible because he's losing everything. And the chances of someone like him uh, 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 committing suicide after something like this is, is actually quite big. It's 60% higher than with normal people. So it's terrible for him because all the dopamine is gone right now. He has no success. He has no, people are going to sue him for everything and they're going to laugh at him. And And his marriage, based upon the videos I've seen, is not very well as well. So where is his support? Where is his happiness coming from? One day they'll all fall. Bad leaders will always one day fall, no matter the fact that some things he said might have been right and people were really a fan of him and, and he did some great things. It doesn't matter. He, he, he was not uh, reciprocally connected to others. But Biden isn't either, right? And Hillary isn't either. <laughs> That's the problem. The, the, the whole system where, where you're living is not based upon recipro reciprocity, but about being the best of the, of the camp. So that's the old marine way. Now the question is, how do we get to the new marine way? But you tell them that, then you're going to get rich probably. Yeah, let's uh, let's figure that out, right? <laughs> I mean, I wish you all the best. I hope you're, you're yeah, doing your thing, man. <laughs> well, there's, I would tell you here in America, I think there's a lot of people that would love to figure that out. But uh, uh, You'll be the first. You have the discipline. Yeah. Go get them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll be. I want to be respectful of your time, and uh, but this has been been great. Um, I love uh, your approach and and uh, knowledge and information. This has been wonderful, and I think um, everyone listening is going to enjoy this too. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, real quick, just your podcast and what kind of drove you to to start a podcast. Well. Um... It's on true-leadership.com, and that's my – it's not dash. It's a – how do you call it? Hyper uh, – a little line. How do you call it? Hyphen. Hyphen, a hyphen yeah. So true-leadership.com. It's in English. And uh, uh, basically, I wanted to share some knowledge with people. It's all for free uh, just to make people understand leadership better. So I talk about – it's all 10, 12-minute episodes. It's very short. You can li listen to it in the car just to get some basic knowledge into the heads of people in HR or coaches or whatever. I wanted to share it in the world because – I'm never going to uh, travel the whole world in my lifetime to tell people. And in the Netherlands, I do lectures and stuff. But uh, there are a lot of people in the world that just wanted to know more. So that's why I do this. And that's why I feel really honored that you're, 
you, you uh, send me an email to, to the interview. So if there's any questions from your listeners, for example, you want to ever, ever do uh, a follow-up with uh, answering questions from your listeners, that's always an honor because I like to, to talk with people around the world in order to share this, this insights so that we know as a collective, we don't need leaders all the time, that we know why leaders become leaders and why they are successful and why they are unhappy and, and what you can do about it. And if we all understand that, the world will be a little bit better. And that's good. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'll uh, I'll certainly continue to listen. I I love learning uh, new things, and again, this is an angle that I don't I don't know a lot about, and so I I really appreciate the the information and the message that you have. Um, but yeah, I'd love to follow up with you. You know, here maybe down the road in a few months or something. Maybe we can do it again. Send me an email. I'll happy to do it. It was a very great honor. Very fun to talk with you. And uh, yeah. Well, thank you, Arvid. It was a pleasure to have you, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Soon. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that episode today with Arvid Bout from uh, the Le- Leadership Lessons podcast. Uh, again, you can check out his website at true-leadership.com um, and see all of his content. Take a listen to his podcast. Some really good information about the psychology of, of people that kind of drives their behavior and how they interact with others. Uh, I've been kind of fascinated by this topic and trying to learn more. Well, if you would, again, if you haven't done so yet, Uh, Go on the podcast, uh, click subscribe, uh, leave us a a five-star written review, tell us how we're doing. That means a lot to us. And share the show with somebody else. You could also check out our website, which is patriotleadershipadvisors.com. If if you're having issues with uh, your teams or uh, maybe you know somebody else that could use that help, uh, get in touch with us. We'd love to, to hear more about what's going on. Thanks for joining the show. We'll talk to you again soon.